Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. As we uh, have started last week, this series, As You Wish, and so every um, Easter we come and we bring a survey to you guys asking you topics that you want to hear about, and you write in a bunch of things, and this one was prayer. And so today I'm excited to talk about this, um, and today is not like a how-to guide, like I'm not going to sit here and give you all the right words to say, but more so speaking to these postures that Jesus displayed in his own life and prayers that he prayed that maybe will help guide you on your spiritual journey. Uh, have you guys ever felt like prayer is hard to do? Uh, it's hard to come in moments where things are difficult, or it's even hard to kind of lock in and, and, and get through a prayer for more than five minutes. Well, if you are that way, you're like everyone else at one point in this room who's tried to pray, who's tried to go after prayer. And perhaps you've been thinking, man, I need a refresh, a fresh life in my prayer life, some answers to questions that I've been asking God. And today we're going to talk a little bit about those, but today our message is titled Prayers for the Heart. And so things that would be good for you, things that would helpful, be helpful to you on your spiritual journey. And so some of the things about prayer is that it's so broad, right? You can touch on topics of thanksgiving, things of confession, of bringing your requests to God, or even um, talking about intercession and so many things. But a classic definition of prayer is this. It's an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, with confessions of our sins and thankful acknowledgments of his mercies. Uh, but my summary for you, for us in this room, is that prayer is the believer's communication to God. It's the simplicity of how we talk to him, of how we hear from him, how we get to know him. Uh, think about a good friend of yours, the way that you communicate your desires, the way you communicate your problems, the way you communicate what you hope for, what you desire. It's that simple. It's literally coming before God and having that same kind of conversation. And a lot of times the listening of God requires repetition, understanding how he speaks to you, whether that's something that you couldn't think about in your own mind or going to scripture. But our greatest model of, of life of prayer is the man Jesus himself. You can see time and time again that through the nights he prays. He wakes up early in the morning before many and he would pray. But even in his greatest moments of trial, as he's about to head to the cross, he sits with his friends and he says, hey, watch out for a bit. I'm going to go spend some time with God. In his greatest moment of trial, before he's about to go, die on a cross for you, for me, he goes to prayer. And I thought we'd start today by just thinking of some of the prayers that have been prayed here at this church. Prayers that someone that you might be sitting next to prayed out to God. And what happened is everything changed. And so I'm going to share a few stories and I'm going to keep them anonymous just to, to let that be between them and God to sustain their relationship. But you might know some of these people. And so the first one goes like this. It says, when I was 22 and deep in the draws of my addiction, drinking and using daily with seemingly nothing to live for, with no hope, ready to end it all. I remember standing on a bridge crying out to God for something, anything to give me hope. And thank God when I picked up my phone to call my brother. He picked up and he directed me to my mentor and someone who showed me that I can live a life of joy and happiness without the need to medicate. 
This was a prayer answered by God to someone at this church. The second one is this, that I've been suffering with weekly panic attacks and extreme OCD. I was unable to live a normal life. I left my house once a week. I had loved Jesus and I walked with him faithfully. I was suffering greatly with my mental health and saw no way of it changing. I cried out to God to please heal my mind because I could not do it on my own strength. And after steps of obedience to the Lord, I heard to do through prayer. Two years later, I live in another state. I live a full life. My OCD no longer has control and I've not suffered a single panic attack. This is a prayer of a prayer of someone in this room. And the last one is a prayer of a man who only desired for his daughters to encounter Jesus, for his daughters to have a relationship with them, with the relationship that they decided, a relationship that they chose, not because he was walking with the Lord, not because of what he had, but the reality of what they desired. And today they stand all across the campus. These girls stand here, baptized, going after Jesus, and finding and following what it means to do life with him. These are three prayers in this room. These are three people who have prayed to God. And what happened? God showed up. As I look across the room, I can't help but think that there's many prayers that we can sit here and talk about for hours. Hours and hours of hours of your prayers, of your mom's prayers, of your dad's prayers, of, of your cousin, of someone else, and all the things that God has done. And so at this point, I would hope that maybe you have some desire to pray. But maybe you're new to this whole journey. You're new to this whole life. And we can go very broad. Obviously, there's so many things to talk about when it comes to prayer. But we're going to list some of the reasons of why we pray as individuals. And so some of the reasons we pray is because God's word calls us to pray. And we see that Jesus prayed regularly in his life. It's one of the clearest forms of communication with God. It's one of the ways that we get to participate in his works. And prayer gives us power over the enemy. So when things are hard, we can come in prayer and see victory. Prayer gives us the ability to um, experience his, his goodness and kindness. And it's available 24-7. You don't have to come to church to do it. You don't have to only do it on a certain hour of a certain day. You don't have to go to anything else. You don't have to speak to someone else. You can just simply come before God. And prayer could, an answered prayer could be a potential witness to a friend, to a family member, to someone that you're trying to invite. And it does a great job of strengthening the bonds between believers, which is why we encourage every single person, if you don't come to the first Wednesday that we have here, it's a night of prayer and worship, then I would ask you, man, would you take the challenge to do so? It's the middle of the week. It's a time that you get to refresh. When everybody else thinks that sleep would be the result of rest, we are coming before God, saying, God, we just want you. We need you. And when all comes out, right, when everything else fails, prayer can succeed when nothing else can. But God does a good job of, of teaching us how we can go into these moments of prayer. He uses Jesus as an example. And Jesus speaks to us how not to pray. And so as we go into this, we get the first aspect that is the how not to pray found in Matthew 6, 5 through 8. It says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into the room, close your door and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in the secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, 
for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. When you think of this reality, when you think of what Jesus is really saying, is he says, where is your heart? What are you coming to me with? What are you trying to say? Don't do this. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy who comes babbling. Don't be that guy who wants to be seen in prayer. Come with me to develop intimacy, friendship, relationship. And so our hearts must be postured towards God. It's not a good thing when you come into prayer and it's all about you. It's all about your desires. It's all about what you want. And so what Jesus does is he tells us then how we ought to pray. And if you've grown up in church, you've probably said this prayer before. But if you haven't, there's this thing called the Lord's Prayer, and he um, says that this is how we ought to pray. And it's not like you have to do this all the time. Some people take that seriously, and it's a good thing. But some people take these points, and they look at what Jesus is trying to say, or what we could say, what could apply to us. And it's going to change in our seasons. And so if you're able and you're willing, uh, would you guys stand as we read the Lord's Prayer together? And so it's found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And on the count of three, we'll all read it out loud and read together. One, two, three. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus, we thank you for today. Jesus, we thank you that you are God and you are good. God, we come today with our ears open, with our minds towards you, our hearts towards you, fixed on you. God, we ask that you would speak to us. God, if we've heard it before, would you refresh our minds? God, if if we've heard it before, would you refresh our hearts? And Lord, would we come today desiring to hear your voice, desiring to communicate with you, desiring to love you more. God, we love you, we need you, and we can't live without you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So as we jump into this, we're going to kind of look at each of these verses and see where Jesus' heart is in that, what he's meaning, what he's trying for us to apply to our lives. And so the first thing that he says in Matthew 6, 9 is, Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. This portion, our Father in heaven, forms the basis of our prayer life. It's what you think about God. It's what you you come to have known about him that leads you into this moment, to this understanding that he is who he says he is, who he is to you, what he's always been to you, and that's loving and kind. And so the first thing that we have to have in our prayer life is a heart that remembers. And there's three aspects that we're going to be looking at that we ought to remember. The first aspect is that we have to remember who we're talking to. You're talking to the creator of the universe. Now, for those of you who are believers, this has to be the thing that strikes the most awe in your life. For those of you that are checking it out, you might want to ask him, who are you? Talk to him. For those of us who are believers, the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and he created earth. The very being who with just the simplicity of his voice has the ability to create. That's crazy. To me, just the ability to say something and and, and it come to, to fruition and it happened and it's created. Just think of that reality. 
If you've ever been to New York or a place with really large structures, you're usually in awe that someone created that, that a human mind could do this, that the work that is done. But as you look in this room, you can look at the creation of God, your neighbor, the person next to you, sitting right next to you, God created. But as you walk out of these walls of the church, you see the beauty of the green hills. You see the beauty of the sun. You see the beauty of everything that he created. And that's the person you get to talk to. I would say that it's difficult to talk to to a CEO of a company. You don't get direct access to them. You have to go leaps and miles to talk to that person. I don't know that anyone in this room could, but I think it'd be really difficult for us to talk to the president of the United States, just to call him, to see how he's doing, to see what's up. But you the individual gets to talk to the creator. So as you understand who you're talking to, you have to understand who God is. The Bible makes it very clear that he's pretty much everything that you ever wanted. How many of you guys, uh, by a show of hands, ever wanted to be loved? Be honest. How many of you have ever wanted to experience peace? How many of you have ever wanted to experience joy? Well, he created it. And so the way to get to that would probably be to talk to the creator would probably be to understand his ways and know that who he is is who he says he is. And Acts 17 says this, it says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all of the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. As you remember who you're talking to, as you remember who God is, you need to remember who you are, a child of God. The Bible says, that we are his children. First John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, children of God. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. When you think of the relation of a parent to a son or to a daughter, usually, in some cases, if the relationship is good, the son and daughter would know that the parents are their protectors. They're friends, they're encouragers, that they're people who would guide them and lead them into good places. And that's the way we ought to know who God is to our lives. And it goes on to say, our Father in heaven, right? And in this way, um, it's explaining that Jesus came to make it possible for mankind to have that relationship with God. Before we had to do all these crazy things just to get to him. Before we had to clean ourselves, get right, do all these things. But the simplicity of Jesus's life gives us direct access to God. And it says, hallowed be thy name. And this phrase in its own nature means to treat as holy. There's two meanings to this word hallow, and it's really defined by this word sanctify. And sanctify could mean to make holy or to treat as holy. And what happens is when God sanctifies us, he makes us holy. But when we sanctify God, we treat him as holy. And when you think of something that's holy, you give reverence to it. You honor it. And that's why the 
second posture of our hearts in prayer has to be a heart of submission. It's because when we treat God as holy, we realize that we just want to do his will. And so the second one is a heart of submission. Matthew 6, 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And praying for what God wants to happen is to accept his plan, his rights for everyone and at all times, at all places of the day. And it's just the simplicity of praying a sincerity that we believe this to be true and know that Jesus was going to accomplish what he said he was in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And submission to God's authority in a lot of ways brings freedom. It makes us drop our shoulders. It makes us realize we don't have to have the answers. But what God says can and will be good. When you think of this reality, we have to live a life of submission and obey his will that he has for us. Deuteronomy 28 says this. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And what's true to all of our lives is God has different plans for us. Some of you were created to work in tech. Some of you were created to be teachers, uh, leaders, pastors, whatever it might be. That's unique to you. But what's unique to all of us in the sense that we're all called to it are two aspects that Jesus speaks into. And so the will of God for us today is revealed to us in the great commandments. It's these things that God asks us to do. These things that God says, hey, if you just do this, your life will be a lot better. But he defines two as kind of the most important. And so Mark 12, 29 through 31, it says, the most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord your God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandments greater than these. This is the posture of our heart. And here's what I have to say. If you do these things, everything else that you do, it'll be good. If you come before God and you say, God, I just want you. I just love you. I just want to do what you have. Then everything else in the world will come to order. Everything else will give him glory. Everything else will speak to his desires. Everything else will be revealed. And the second way that's the will of God is provided to all of the believers is that it's provided in the Great Commission. When you think about this reality, you understand that this needs to be talked about. That's at the end of the day that when I'm up here, this isn't for you. This, my personal relationship with God isn't for you. Sure, it helps aid in, in what you believe and what you think, and it helps teach to these areas. But at the end of the day, when I die, I'm going to meet Jesus face to face. I'm going to have to report to what he has for my life. And it'd be a shame that at the end of the day, everyone questioned, did Michael love the Lord? Is he in heaven? Well, the one way that you would question that is if I never spoke to him, if I never went after his will, if I never sought out what he was doing, it says, do this, do this, do this, and life will be good. And if I did none of those, then it probably wouldn't look like a life that loved the Lord with all his heart and all his soul and all his mind. And what's true is praying for the will of God could be painful because a lot of things happen in between and to crucify yourself daily is a hard thing to do. And as you struggle to accept what's happening, uh, you got to know that one thing is true is that God is sovereign. And as long as you love him, 
as long as that's the greatest desire of your heart, when you come before him in prayer, then that will change your perspective, your mindset, and your circumstances. And we see this in the life of Jesus, that this was his very heart. There's this moment in Matthew 26, 39. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Um, he's about to, or he's on, right? He's, he's about to be going, he's praying, and he says this thing. It says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. It's just a subtle way of saying, I don't want to do this. It seems very hard. It seems like countercultural. No one else has had to do this. But he says, as you will. God, whatever you want, whatever you desire, whatever you have for me is what I want. And we see that Jesus lived a life that was submitted to the will of the Father. Point number three is a heart that depends on God. Matthew 6, 11 says, give us today our daily bread. When you think of this reality, you understand that Jesus' whole life depended on God. It depended on the will of the Father, what he had for them. And for this very reason, a lot of people questioned his character. They wanted him dead. They wanted him to, do, to, to go and, and, and be treated and tormented and all these things so much because he was so dependent on who God is. For this reason, it says in John 5, 18 through 19, it says, for this reason, they tried to kill him more, to kill him more. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. And Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. And this, in a lot of ways, for the everyday believer, requires faith. And faith comes from the simplicity of looking across the room or hearing stories of people in this room or seeing God come through in our own lives. And this comes by way of just saying like, man, time and time again, God has came through. And so I depend on him more and more. We look at his life. We look at scriptures. And every single moment, God comes through. And so Jesus understood this. He understood who his father was. The way that I kind of think about this is uh, in relation to my own life. Um, for most of us, or some of us, we always had someone who would pick us up from school, right? unless you walked and you were close. Uh, but a lot of my friends, their dad would come pick them up and it was a normal thing. Uh, but there were special days where I had my head up a little bit more. There was these moments um, where my dad would come to my school. It's like, I think it was a moment in fourth grade. I knew that my dad was coming, but my dad wasn't just coming to pick me up. My dad was coming in his cop car. My dad was a police officer and he would show up and it was one of those days that everyone knew that he was coming and he would park the car in the middle of where we would have recess and that everyone would get to see it. They'd get to go in the cop car. They'd get a sticker. But there was something that would happen in my heart when my dad would be there. I would walk a little bit taller. I'd strut a little bit more because I'd be like, that's my dad. You mess with me. You're going to have to deal with my dad, right? He's got his handcuffs. He's got a taser. You don't mess with the man who walks around with a taser, right? And I just knew that my dad, whatever would happen, had my back because I've seen it. 
I've seen how he's taken care of my brother. I've seen how he's taken my, care of my sister. And I've seen that it never stopped at me. That it always was there for me. But I didn't just see it in our lives. I've seen it as he left home to serve and protect the community, to take care of every single person in some way, shape, or form. And so I knew who my dad was. I knew what he was capable of. I knew that he had the ability to save and challenge me and encourage me and take me through any situation. And that same posture must be true when we think of God. Is that every single time that he's came through, every single moment where it's been hard, that he was our protector, that he saved us, that he cared for us, that he loved us. And that requires faith, faith in our lives. And so dependence is faith. James 1.6 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed away. And so we must not doubt, but have confidence in who God is. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It talks about giving us today, right? And it's just this reality that we need to understand and recognize that whatever we have comes from the goodness of God's grace and generosity. And it talks about our daily bread. It talks about just our needs, our day-to-day -day needs with God. And the Bible talks about bread so much. It's kind of a weird thing. And so you see it multiple times, but in Psalms 37, the psalmist makes this audacious claim. It says, I have been young and now I'm old. I have yet not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. In Exodus 16, we see God providing the Israelites their daily bread in the form of manna. We see when Jesus is tempted by Satan, Jesus reminds himself and Satan that the man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God. And one of the most outstanding parables, Jesus feeds the 5,000. But even in the greatest reference of bread, Jesus says that I am the bread of life. He's talking about him and him meeting our daily needs. You see, the point Jesus makes here is to pray in dependence on the Father, to ask him to meet the needs of our daily life. Point number four to remember in the midst of your prayers is a heart to have a heart of forgiveness. Matthew 6, 12 talks about this and says, For, uh, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. But Jesus even makes this same statement. He's standing on the cross, right? He's there vulnerable before people. And in Luke 22, 34, we hear him say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's an act of worship but it's a prayer of his heart that they would know the truth that in the greatest act of love, Jesus forgives us. And our hearts are supposed to come into prayer in those moments with that. Uh, this phrase has kind of a twofold thing that we ought to extend forgiveness, but receive it in the same sense. And so a lot of what Jesus asks of us is that whatever he does to us, you do it to others. Whatever he's given you, give it to someone else. Whatever he's asked of Jesus, he asks of you. And so we extend love and grace. John 15, 12 through 13 says, My command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You see, when we come into prayer, the reason we pray from this posture of forgiveness 
is because if we come with any bitterness or any anger, it's all about us. It's all about what we want. We're going to leave more confused. We're going to leave more chaotic, more unsure, more uncertain. But when we come just with forgiveness and all hearts clear, God reveals to us even more so our desires, even more so our needs, even more so what is in front of us. And the statement is meant to be both a request and a declaration of our lives. It asks God to forgive the one praying and states that the one praying has forgiven those who's wronged them. And Jesus instructs this for the believers. And this is so important that Jesus goes back to it again. In Matthew 6, 14 through 15, he says, For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is a heart that we ought to carry as we pray. It's a mindset that we ought to keep daily, and it's probably one of the hardest things because every single day, someone's going to do something. Someone's going to cut us off. Someone's going to mishear us. We're going to be misunderstood. But if we come before the Lord with our hearts checked, then we can do this last part very easily. It's Matthew 6.13. It says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we go through all of these things, I can't help but define this one as a heart that trusts in God's plan. Now, you may think that sounds way off, but to me, it's something that really speaks into our desires. This aspect of to um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one is this. It's that the first aspect says and expresses a desire for God's guidance and strength to avoid situations that lead us into sin or wrongdoing. But the second one to deliver us from the evil one is a plea for protection. It's a plea to get away from spiritual things that may have influence over our lives. And the Lord's Prayer doesn't teach us to pray against that kind of sovereign guidance. But what it teaches us to pray that the temptation does not take us in. It says, do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil that is set before us. And this requires trust. This requires that when it doesn't make sense that God's got our back. This requires that like even though things aren't panning out the way that we thought they would, that God is still good. And that trust requires obedience. And so trust is obedience in this aspect. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and a future. And as I think of a heart that trusts in God's plan. I can't help but think that a heart that trusts is one that remembers who he is, one that submits to his will, one that depends on his character, on his guidance, and one who's quick to forgive, one who's quick to live the life that Jesus calls us to. And our natural instinct in these moments is to seek help from others, is to go to the next person or, or ask the next person or ask someone else. But that is trusting in man. And trusting in man is not trusting in God. But what's true is eventually temptations will come, right? Things will get in between us. They'll, they'll, ask this, they'll get so crazy that we'll have this difficulty praying, this difficulty of coming before the Lord. But the Bible tells us over and over again how people have not merely just been tempted, but have overcome it. How people have been challenged and lured by temptation, but have broken through. And my mindset goes to this. 
is that when we come before prayer, where is our heart? Where are our thoughts? Where is our actions? And you may be thinking, Michael, what does this have to do with prayer? You're simply defining each thing. But I would say that as we define those things, that defines our hearts. Because you never go to someone in conversation and only come expecting your desires and, and everything that you want and it leaving in a good situation. What happens is you two start butting heads and then no one gets to be heard, no one gets to feel heard. But when you come and you say, man, I come with an open heart. I come to remember who I'm talking to. Remember who he's been to my life, who he's been to my mom, who he's been to my dad, who's been to my grandparents, the creator of the universe. When you come before knowing those things, everything changes. And so my question to you is then when you've gone to times of prayer, where's your heart? When you come before him, do you come remembering every single problem going on in your life? Do you come before him saying, oh, pity me, I'm insecure, I'll never be this, it's not working in my favor, you're not doing what I asked you to do? Do you come before him really just embracing the wrongs? Or do you come remembering who he is? Every time that he's came through, every answered prayer, every moment that you needed him, he was there. When you come before him submitting to his will, do you come more so submitting your own plans? Do you come saying, hey, I want it to be this way, that way, my way, or no way at all? Or do you come before him saying, God, I just want to give you glory. God, I just want to love you with all my heart. I just want to love you with all my mind. I just want to love you with all my strength, with all my soul. At the end of the day, that's all that I want. Do you come operating out of independence, saying, I can figure this out. God, I got this. If, you don't, if you're not going to do it, then I'm going to go figure it out. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do things the way I want it to be done. And if whatever you have to say, it's not seeming to be going that way, so I'm going to go figure it out. Or do you come and say, God, I want to be fully dependent on you. I want to see who you are. I want to trust in your plan. I want to live a life of faith. I want to walk so high with my head held up knowing who my dad is, my father in heaven. And do you come with any bitterness? Do you come with any unforgiveness? Do you come with any misrepresentation of who God is because of another relationship that you've seen that didn't really look like Jesus, but they called themselves a believer or, or any hurts of a church that you've experienced? Or do you come saying, God, I forgive them and forgive me because I've done the same things. I've been the same person, but God, today I want to be with you rightly before you. And when you come to him, do you come trusting that God is sovereign, that his plan is always good, that his plan is always right as long as you choose to love him? I believe that prayer is intimacy. It's just this dialect between you and the greatest love of all. In the same way that you would talk to your friends, your family members. But I have one fear for you guys. I have one fear for your life and for my life. I don't have a lot of regrets in my life because I just feel like this is the way there's meant to be. But I do have one thing that continues to challenge me. In high school, I had a friend named Nick. Nick was cool. We were friends all the way from elementary school. He was my first friend. He was a writer. So I loved him. 
but we went to elementary school, we went to junior high, and we went to high school. Uh, but when high school happens, everyone starts figuring things out on their own. Sports get in the way, you get a girlfriend, you, you get new friends, all these things. And so Nick and I weren't really super close anymore. But I would always see Nick. I would walk to my locker and grab my history book and Nick would be sitting there. And I always wanted to talk to him. But something would get in the way. I would be walking by uh, on my way home to school and I know I got practice or, or I got to go do homework and I would just say, hey, and just walk by. I would, I would be going to a school event, maybe a football game or something, and I would see Nick and I would just hang out with my other group of friends. The bell would be going off and I would just keep walking. And one day I, I'm having lunch with my friend Cynthia and Cynthia says, hey, Nick just texted me. And I was like, oh, I love Nick. Like we used to, we used to talk about wrestling. We used to love the Raiders. We played football every day. And she's like, you should talk to him. And that night I get a phone call from Cynthia. She says, Nick's passed away. He's gone. And I always wonder, what would have happened? What would have changed? I don't think that he'd still be here. I don't know. I don't hold that burden. But I just wonder, what good did I miss out on? What conversations could I have? What could I have learned? Where could I have been? What more love would I have had? And I always wonder, and my fear is that you would have that same moment. We all have this opportunity to talk to the creator of the universe, and it's the most beautiful thing. My favorite conversations are when he's speaking. I get to listen. I get to learn. I get to grow closer. And just this reality is that what's true to our lives is we're all going to die. And the Bible is very clear about that. And we're all going to meet him face to face. And what's true is he's going to say one or two things to us. And the first thing that he can say is if you lived a life for him, you went after him with all your goodness, with everything that you had, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But there's some people he's going to look at and he's going to say, leave me now. I never knew you. And your inheritance is in heaven. And I have to believe that that person is a person who didn't take the time to submit to his will, to remember who he was, to depend on what he had, who chose a life of independence. And that person missed out on an opportunity to have a conversation with the greatest gift of all. My heart today is that you would today decide like, man, that won't be me. And maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're just checking this all out. I would encourage you to take a moment every day. Pray bold prayers. I heard time and, ten of, time and time of people saying, God, if you're real, then speak to me. And he always does. But you have to silence your own desires. You have to silence your own will. You have to silence all of your own personal angst and all the things going on and just come before him. And that's my hope for you guys today. One of the things that I love about this is this term, our Father in heaven. It's a term that allows us to remember who he is. But I believe it's also a term that allows us to remember who Jesus is to us. And as we go and close off, we're going to do something together that we do every week. It's take communion.